Greetings, EMDR colleagues and friends. Cambria Evans here, the teaching and learning EMDR consultant, here today to talk about history taking. How much is too much? How little is too little? When we are thinking about case conceptualization. Oh my gosh, this is a tricky one, isn't it, you guys? This is this is a head scratcher, and I actually um, I got a question about this um, through someone that purchased the lesson plan course from Zero Disturbance. And um, part of the course is that you can ask me questions until you get it and understand it. I'm just like available to keep talking about EMDR with you. Um, and so this clinician asked me a really important question that I uh, wanted to share with all of you. So she says, one area I'm struggling to make sense of is history taking. Can I get an amen on that? Oh my gosh, it's not easy. <laughs> In my training, I was taught to do a full history, and y'all, she means full, listen to this. Family, parents, attachment, development, relationships, peers, school, significant incidents, etc. Now, I'm realizing that one issue with this is that we make assumptions about what causes what. Right on. For example, so dad died, so is that why the person feels powerless or not? Or did they process the death of their father just fine and it was really just because mom didn't give them enough autonomy when they were young? Look at us making stuff up that we don't know about anything. <laughs> we just make stuff up, right? Good noticing. Okay, so my question is, do you complete a full clinical intake interview to learn about the client for case conceptualization and for target setting? A full clinical intake interview, okay? Or do you, as the Adajong paper um, I shared with her in the course, uh, talked about looking at presenting difficulties or core beliefs and then working back to targets and letting the relevant information show up over time. And then she says, I've seen online that some people do the briefest of history taking and they get straight into the work and others do loads, including attachment interviews. Maybe it depends on the client. What a beautiful thing to think about. Let's think about it together, shall we? <laughs> this is not easy. This is not easy. So when I was trained by Andrew Leeds um, Sonoma Institute group back in, oh my gosh, what year is it? <laughs> I was pregnant with my twins. So it was the beginning of 2016. It was like very thorough, right? And and Dr. Leeds is is known for being so thorough. Like I have like three binders of stuff from him. And at that time when I was first learning EMDR, I felt well, I felt overwhelmed, honestly, by all the content and binders. But I felt like, oh, I know what to do because this is all in this binder. And like if I just follow the binder then I'll be okay if I if I do all these like, you know, intake questions and history taking like I'll just, I'll know what to do. And it, it made me as a um, kind of like novice EMDR clinician feel like I was in control. Like I knew what to do. Um, like I had what I needed, what other positive cognitions. It made me feel like, like I could do EMDR because I had all these binders and all these <laughs> questions. And, um, you know, now 5,000 EMDR sessions later as an EMDR consultant, um, I don't use any of that stuff. <laughs> I 
I don't use any of that stuff. Um, and I want to talk today about what I do use and like how I do my case conceptualization. Um, but I think back then, it, I think it depends on like what kind of a learner you are, first of all. But it also depends on what phase of learning you're in, right? So let's, let's think about this together. Um, you know, over time, I have come to learn how to um, assess for things without doing assessments, if that makes sense, right? So from day one, conversation one, on the phone with the consult consultation call, I'm assessing for disassociation. And I'm not talking about just zoning out um, or losing time. I'm talking about, is there an incongruence between words and emotion? Um, is there an incongruence between emotion, body sensations, thoughts, right? I'm kind of already tracking from the first conversation if this person's going to be able to do EMDR. The more likely it looks like they're going to be able to do EMDR, right? Keeping dual awareness, staying present, noticing their bodies, noticing their emotions, noticing their thoughts, reporting them to me, being able to report to me when they're not connected or, or leaving, the more a person feels like they're able to do EMDR, the less interested I am about collecting more data beyond that, right? Of course, I'm going to want to do red flag things like, are you actively in addiction? Um, have you been suicidal? Are you now? Like, I'm going to want to know, like, the big things, right? Are you a resourced person? But these are things that kind of just come up throughout phase uh, phase one, history taking, and phase two, right? For resource installation in phase two, that's a ton of clinical assessment in that phase. So I don't really give a lot of um, surveys and questionnaires and handouts and things like that. Um, I will give the DES if uh, I get the sense that someone's like, there's an incongruence or there's some like strong parts that are active. Um, a lot of that comes from clinical in intuition. A lot of that comes from just doing this like every day for, you know, the last five or six years. So um, there's that. But, you know, it's interesting. I, I actually think like doing all those assessments, the, the paper assessments actually trained my brain <laughs> to do it naturally, if that makes sense. Um, because, you know, at this point I'm kind of thinking about, well, What's the harm in doing it versus what's the benefit, right? So you've, I don't know if you've seen these comments on these Facebook groups where people who are EMDR clients will go on there and they'll say, my EMDR therapist made me write this timeline um, of everything that's ever happened to me. And I've done this, I had done this with clients before in the past. I do not do this now. Um, but for some clients, well, for most of my EMDR clients with, you know, complex uh, and relational trauma, that's really traumatizing. And that's a lot to look at a list of all of the hard stuff. Um, and I've kind of decided at this point that doing that exercise feels like it has more harm than benefit. Um, the harm, I think, is the overwhelm for the client and the traumatization of the client because we're asking them to essentially activate parts of their brains thinking about these memories and then writing them down and seeing them. So we're just activating the crap out of them, basically, which I think is cruel. Um, 
but the benefit is maybe this sense of like we know where we're going we know what where the map is but really it's like a map of stuff like the examples in the question you know we don't know that that you know assault um, was interpreted as it's my fault right we know that it happened but we don't know if it's now still disturbing and traumatic and needs to be processed so my personal preference um really for every client that comes in is i'm just again from minute one assessing for dissociation assessing can they do emdr that's what they came here to do they did not come to me to map out their entire life history they came to me to do emdr and so that's really what i care about assessing and understanding honestly for me the content and the details of trauma doesn't matter um i can do an attachment assessment essentially by asking things like um what's important for me to know about you or what do you want me to know about you or um help me understand a little bit about what you were like when you were a kid right if there's no mention of parents i notice that and i'll and i'll kind of ask some questions about that um and you know how do you feel about how your parents raised you um are you in connection with them now but I don't do a lot of formal assessments and, and surveys. I will say that when someone comes to me as a new client who's only going to work with me in an intensive format, right? So I work both as, in an intensive format, like come see me for three days and then I'll never see me again, like go back to your primary therapist. And I also work intensively, which means I have clients coming for longer sessions like once a month or once every six weeks. So for clients who I, I know I'm only gonna see one time, I will do more formal assessment through my intensive uh, client workbook that I've created. It's in the intensive design kit at Zero Disturbance. Um, that is something that does have some attachment assessments and other assessments in there, um, just because we don't have a lot of time for me to notice those things we're kind of like coming together and getting to work. Um, but not, I don't do a ton. I don't do a ton of those. Um, I think that some clients who want to come for a three day intensive, um, some of those clients like to, to fill those things out. They like to have the workbook and feel like they have something tangible to be able to see and take back to their primary therapist um, as like a, like a outcome or tangible product of our time together. And I have some intensive clients who are just like, yeah, I got that workbook and it's amazing, like all, you know, 80 pages of it. And uh, yeah, I can't fill that out. <laughs> like it was too much. And that's clinical information for me, right? But I never require it. Um, I never, ever have clients start with the first and the worst. Um, I know that, you know, so if you haven't read this paper, you guys, it's called The Two Method Approach um, by Adajong out of the Netherlands out of Amsterdam and he wrote it in like 2010 so it's 11 years old but it's it's a really excellent paper for lots of reasons because it talks about the timeline method of like having everyone write the timeline of trauma versus letting targets kind of come up based on themes of um, negative and positive cognitions so um, the point <laughs> the point is that you know when it comes to um, thinking about trauma targets, right? Like kind of where to start. Um, at this point, I just, I just let the client tell me because I have heard many, many times, um, from my, from consultees and also from clients 
I've had consultees say to me, my consultant is telling me to go back earlier and earlier and my client is pissed because she wants to focus on the present or the future. Um, so there's like this prong argument that happens because standard protocol tells us to start or start with the past prong, right? Um, standard protocol tells us to go to the worst or the earliest. Um, but if you train with Dolores Mascara, you know this progressive approach, which is, you know, essentially um, we can start here, right, with this core trauma, or we can start with something that's peripheral, like fingertip, and connected. But sometimes starting here is actually too much for a lot of our clients. Sometimes clients need to start here for our target, that's not the target, but related, um, so that they can see how EMDR works, they can trust the process, they can trust you, they can trust themselves. They can kind of just get a lay of the land because a lot of the people that come and work with us are going to be highly traumatized people who have had lots of experiences with um, lack of control, helplessness, powerlessness. And so why would I, as the EMDR clinician, tell them what they can and can't do <laughs> with a target selection? <laughs> I mean, no, we're going to go or I mean, that just it just feels re-traumatizing to me. Right. So so the point being, I think it's re-traumatizing for clients, many of them to make a timeline. I think it's re-traumatizing for many of our clients um, to uh, be told they have to go earlier uh, or to the worst. And quite frankly, um, I've made other videos about this. I feel like that approach, um, while, you know, theoretically, scientifically is sound. It's very much based in a medical model that is outdated. Um, when I was working at Stanford, we oftentimes taught medical stu students different courses about how to make choices with their patients. And we talk about this at Stanford Medical School still. They're probably still talking about it. They should be. How do you make choices with your patients? Like, are you a collaborator? Are you patient-centered? Are you listening to, like, what's important to them? Or are you kind of coming in as this like authoritative bulldozer and saying, here's what we're doing and this is what's best for you. I mean, it, it really is um, a very like 1950s approach to any relationship at all, whether it's a parent-child relationship or a marriage or a, a physician and a patient. Like it's just a very um, directive, authoritative, like bulldozing. And it's just, it's just not my style. Like I'm an assertive therapist, but I'm not a bulldozer because that's re-traumatizing and it's not reparative. It's not teaching secure attachment. It's not teaching boundaries and all of that, all the things you want to teach our clients. So that being said, to answer your question, you know, I feel like I do a full clinical intake interview, but it's not with a bunch of surveys and assessments. It's, it's with my clinical intuition. Um, it's what the client wants to share with me um, because information is shared over time. I mean, even when someone comes for a three-day intensive, sometimes they don't tell me some stuff and I'm okay with that. Um, I really I really trust people's brains. Um, obviously, if there's like a high level of dissociation, that's a whole different conversation. That makes things a little complicated in terms of what we can do and what we can't do because that impacts their ability to actually be able to do EMDR and keep dual awareness and keep awareness of their body, stay in their body, stay in their emotions, stay with their thoughts, report that to me. But people come to me because I am client-centered. That is, that is one of my values. I'm creative. Um, and really, it's, as we come out of basic training and we become more advanced, 
there needs to be more permission, I think, for EMDR clinicians to have their own set of um, values, their own integrity about how they want to practice um, their care. And some EMDR clinicians are, are like fine with saying, here's the rules and here's what we're doing. And some notice with their clients that doesn't work for them, right? So it's just a very personal choice about how you want to do history taking. Um, now, in this paper that I mentioned by Adajong, he does lay out the timeline strategy and then the kind of the more organic strategy for different kinds of clients, right? He's saying that for complex trauma clients, the timeline strategy is really, like I said, re-traumatizing. And I agree with that 110%. Um, I've made the mistake of doing that for those types of clients, and it just um, felt like it did more harm than good. Um, and, and really, at the end of the day, there's a positive intention in both approaches, right? Um, really, at the end of the day, you have to f notice like what positive cognitions um, are there for you or not there for you uh, around EMDR, right? Are you the kind of person that's going to need like three binders <laughs> of assessments to feel safe, to feel like confident in what you're doing? Or are you the kind of person that's like got the PC of, I'll figure it out. Like, I don't need to know every detail before I do something because um, that's, you know, quite frankly, not how life works. So people have different approaches to how they live their lives, right? I am the kind of, my husband knows this about me and it drives him freaking crazy. I will get something and I don't read the instructions. I'm just like, well, I guess I'm going to figure this out. And if I get frustrated, I'm like, can you, <laughs> I kind of outsource it to him. Can you read these instructions for me? Which is interesting because that's kind of more how I practice clinically. And it's interesting because I do have this um, research background at Stanford of like reading lots of papers and um, writing lots of papers. So I know how to do those things, but at this point with my EMGR, I'm relying a lot on my clinical intuition. So again, this is depending on how um, comfortable you are with your intuition, how much experience you've had. Um, I kind of think about all these assessments as training wheels, quite honestly. And once you've internalized how to ride a bike without falling over, right, you can take the training wheels off. And that the sense of them is still kind of there. You're still keeping your balance, but you don't necessarily need the training wheels. You don't really need the all of those paper assessments and interview questions, right? And you know, if you fall over on the bike, because that happens sometimes with clients, we're like, "Whoa, didn't see that coming!" It's like crash. Um, we know we can get back up and dust ourselves off, off, and and try again. And that is um, modeling for ourselves and for the clients that we can figure things out. So I hope this feels helpful to you. Um, you know, you did ask me, does it depend on the client? And that is what Adajan talks about in his paper. I think it depends on the client, but I think it depends on the clinician. Depends on so many variables, variables about you. So I hope that is something that um, can kind of marinate for you. If you have any other questions about history taking, case conceptualization, y'all know I love talking about this. I could talk about this all day long. Um, there will be opportunities for applying for uh, fall consultation with zero disturbance. We're taking a summer break to enjoy a uh, vaccinated summer <laughs> at our house. Um, but if we don't get a chance to do a consultation together in group, keep the questions coming. I love your curiosity, enthusiasm, and passion for EMDR, um, I'm always available to think about things with you so that you feel more confident 
you feel like things are easier, more accessible for you, because I really, I really do have this vision that every therapist will be EMDR trained, that every client will have the opportunity to get EMDR. Um, because if that could happen, y'all, we could change the world. We really could. And people aren't going to use EMDR if they feel nervous about it. So with that being said, go forth. You can do this. I'm here for you. And in the meantime, take care, stay safe, be well. Till next time.